This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Checkmate. The Wolf Sisters series book number one and joining me from somewhere in the east coast of the United States is author Margie Millette. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, in our pre-conversation, I I discovered that you are uh, pretty busy as an author. You've written 11 books, published seven. This is the first in a series uh, titled or subtitled The Wolf Sisters Series. Uh, When did you begin your authorship? When did you begin writing as as an author? I began writing in 2008. And what was what was the reason for that? I mean, had you always uh, been, uh, you know, a creative person, or or was this just something that you decided I'm going to give it a try? Well, I, I seem to always like daydreaming and having stories in my head, and then I said, but with you know being having a family and working, you just never think about it. And then one day I was just talking to my friends at work and I said, you know, I have a story in my head that it just doesn't go away, and I would love to write it. Um, and she said, well, just write it. So I was I decided, well, why not try it? So I decided to start writing. Excellent. Are your other books fictional also? Yes, all my books are fictional. All right, and your original birthplace was Puerto Rico. You are now in the United States, I'm guessing, and uh, you uh, you have written a lot of books in a short period of time. How long does it take to to complete a novel, typically? Well, it depends. If, if I have um, before, I didn't have plenty of time, so I was doing more part time. So when I started in 2008, it was just part-time writing. Right. And so I work, I took care of my kids, and I read a, write a little bit. And then when I became um, uh, unemployed in 2013, it's when I was able to open up and be able to write full-time. So now I'm not working. You know, I have hours that I could do it. So um, a book, depending on how you know interesting the story is or, or how it catches me, like it doesn't want to let go, my story doesn't want to get out of my head, then I just keep writing and writing. Um, so, uh, like, my vampire book, I almost read it. I, I wrote it, like, in three months. Wow. And then some of them take me six months, seven months. Uh, this one, titled Checkmate, I, I was going to ask you if that's a self-portrait on the cover. I don't think that is, but... Um, that, no, no, it's not. <laughs> not at all. I, 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 will, de- I will describe I gonna... this. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead and describe it to my to my listeners so they'll get an idea of uh, maybe what age range should be reading your book. Okay. Well, it should be adults. So it should be 18 and older um, because it is erotica romance, so it's going to have lost scenes, um, explicit mm. love scenes. Um, is a woman... Women could read the book. Um, they, they like romance and they like paranormal and erotica. Um, it has action and it has um, really good uh, action scenes and fighting scenes. So if men are interested in writing, reading a little bit of love story and they don't mind, you know, the other parts, then they they could read it too. Right, and the the um, basic. Uh 
premise of your story, Checkmate, you mentioned paranormal. Is there is there elements of that in this novel as well? Yes, yes, the Wolf Sisters. Oh, that is what the Wolf Sisters refer to. I thought it might refer to their last name or some other no, aspect. No, no, hmm. no the, wolf, the Wolf Shifters, all three girls. Wow. And uh, uh, is, it, is it written from experience, some, somebody you have met, or is this totally fictional? No, I, totally fictional, but I do read a lot of paranormal books. I, I like uh, vampire stories, wolf, gargoyles, all the, all the paranormal things. Like, I love... The Harry Potter stories, I love uh, Lord of the Rings, elf stories, and stuff like that. So I like a lot of fantasy so um, and paranormal. So um, I was going to read them as a contemporary book, but then I said to myself, why don't I make the girls wolf sisters? Mm. Why not? So that's why I decided to change the story from three half-sisters that live in Miami um, to three half-sisters, wolf sisters that live in Miami. Well, well, is is this contemporary in its time frame? Is this uh, dealing with automobiles and uh, current high rises, or is it future tense or yes. past tense? Yes, it is. It's, it's a present. It's a present time. So everything else besides the girls being shifter is is contemporary. So you have they have houses, they have cars, airplanes, computers, the whole thing. Mm. And your main character, is it Pilar? Is that uh, the correct pronunciation of your main character? Pilar, yeah, Pilar. And what about her? Who, is, who is she? She is, um, a, a, she is a uh, middle-aged, not middle-aged, oh my God, in the 20s, <laughs> middle 20s uh, young girl. Um, she is a, a, a DA of the uh, Miami-Dade Police, and she's a, half, she's a wolf sister, and she has two half-sisters, and um, it's her going through finding out how to help people abuse women, and then she finds her mate, and she has to figure out how she could involve her mate in her life and uh, the frustration of wondering, because none of them realized that there was wolves elsewhere. They just thought Mm. it was just then. Now they figure out that there's more wolf shifters um, around. Wow, that you know that does take an imagination, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you you have taken a while to write this. It's 172 pages. Um, was it a, a, an a, an event or a process that you found enjoyable, or was there some challenges also involved in writing this? Actually, it was enjoyable because, like I said, I like reading a lot, so it was part of my my nature to read paranormal. So it was really enjoyable. Um, I do. Um, like her character, I love the strength of her, and I found that the the, the 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 scenes just flow. So as soon as I started writing her story, it was easy. I, I didn't have to contradict myself, or I didn't have to think, "Oh my God, why am I writing this?" It just everything just fell right into uh, into the place. So I was just having fun writing her story. Mm, so you don't write from an outline specifically. You write from inspiration at the moment. Yes, but I did learn to do an outline. At the, my first three books that I wrote were not outlined, so I just wrote them. But then because I was doing a series, because I know there was three girls, uh, three sisters, I needed to make sure that I did not duplicate some of the scenes, some of the the characters or some of the names, so in some of the storyline. So at that point, I did have to do a very small outline. I don't do big outlines like pages of outlines. Yes. Just 
how the character looks, what is her situation, what is her job, or, and then I needed to, you know, put her partner, you know, the, the, her her mate. So I needed to make sure that I didn't copy everything the same way in all the situations. So I did do a little bit online of what her story could be, and what and it always changes how her how her story could have been compared to her other two sisters. I've noticed that there's a certain aspect of your novel that you particularly enjoyed writing. Is this uh, something that you've shared with family members, uh, you know, relatives, uh, those kinds of uh, of uh, co- connections? What has been their reaction? Actually, uh, they all like it. Um, they, uh, they, so they're surprised that I'm write, writing Erorica because, I mean, I'm going to be 60 this year and a grandmother, you know, <laughs> mom of three. They said, oh, my goodness, you know. So they surprised a little bit, but my friends like the books, and they, you know, they 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 surprised a little bit than I'm the one writing. Then um, I do have an older daughter that reads my books because she's used to it, and then I got a daughter and a son that says, "Oh, we're not reading your books, mom. We don't want to know." We don't want to know what <laughs> you're thinking. Your mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, but my, yes. my my husband doesn't read it. Um, he, just, <laughs> you know, if he doesn't say automobile in front of the book. Because he's a mechanic, he's not going to read it. Hmm. So, um, but the rest of the, my family and my friends do enjoy the book when they read it, and they call me and they say, "Whoa!" and they say, "Whoa!" and you know, <laughs> what was that scene? You know, and I said, "Okay." I'm glad you like the scene. <laughs> yes, and and uh, that's uh, that's just uh, me and my husband in disguise. I, I guess you would say I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody says. Is this some <laughs> kind of a, uh, idea with your husband? It says, "No, oh, this is pure fantasy." Pure fantasy. All right. Well, just, I, again, just the, you, you've, you've got a disclaimer on this. If it doesn't have automobile, most guys might might reject it or might not uh, pick it up. Uh, you also have a disclaimer that perhaps uh, the better reader should be what over. 18 you think yes it should be over 18 mm. always i mean like i did have a young girl um with her mom because i volunteered to help with taxes uh in the tax season and she looked interested in the book and then i look at her so how old are you are and she was like 16 oh and mm. it, well this is not for you this is an adult <laughs> book and her mom looked oh she reads all those all the time so huh. uh, for me you know you're the mom i don't uh, but it is an adult book it, it it is for just. Uh, I had a cousin that wanted to buy one for her daughter. So when she called me, says, "I want to buy your book for my daughter." He said, "How old is your daughter?" I says, "Twelve." Uh, Oops. You realize that I'm writing an adult book here. No, it's not a kid's book. He said, "Oh, really? I didn't know." I says, "No." So she said, "Oh, okay, sorry." So you know, it is an old. It's an adult book. It's, it should not be read by a young kid. Well, as oh. as they say in Great Britain, it has some naughty bits in it. I guess that's what oh, we're going to Yes, yes, yes. Yes, those are the fun parts. Yes. <laughs> Well, the action scenes besides the naughty bits, uh, what what type of uh, scenes do you have? Do you have car crashes, uh, those kinds of things, or what, have, what do you have? Well, because they're wolf shifters, so they're wolf shifters. I have people that are doing a little bit of uh, uh, drug dealing. I have a little bit of people that do, uh, they, uh, do a little bit of prostitution, so they have to fight the bad people. I have a person that kidnaps somebody else, so they have to fight the bad people to save that person. Um, there is scenes of fight in the uh, in the uh, woods. They they fight as man first, and then they shift and they fight as wolves. 
and I have a little bit of fighting in the street, but no, no, no car chasing. <laughs> no car chasing. Well, no wonder your 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 husband doesn't want to read it. You need to put the word automobile on the top top of the page <laughs> on the book. Stick it Probably. on there. Maybe he'll read it. <laughs> I would put it to the next one. <laughs> yes, and your your action scenes or your storyline actually takes place takes place although you're in Florida, Florida, Wyoming, and and Arizona, all over all over the United States, pretty much. Yes, the girls are from Miami. It's Latina girls from Miami. And then um, the, the people from Wyoming, uh, the bad people, they're doing all the, uh, the, uh, the prostitution and everything. And so how they cross paths, it, so they, they get it mixed up. And the people from Arizona are their mates. And what happened is uh, one of their mates needs to go to Miami to discover something that's going on there. And mm. that's, how he, that's how she found her mate. Since you have become a prolific writer, I guess would be the way to describe it. I mean, this seven seven novels, uh, seven novels uh, released, eleven books uh, written. Are any of those other books that have not been released? Are those uh, scheduled for for public consumption soon? Not soon. I'm in the middle of writing two series because the, the, I always have a story that comes out that you're writing. So I'm doing a um, a uh, bear series. So it's going to be paranormal. So it's humans that turn into bears. Hmm. And then I, I have one book in that one, and I'm in the middle of the second book. And then I have a book that is going to be uh, Witches, Demons, and Gargoyles. And it's, again, um, is humans that turn in gargoyles, and witches don't turn anything. They just have powers. And demons, humans that turn into demons. Well, considering your background and the uh, storyline that you've uh, created here, uh, the book on bears, is that spelled B-A-R-E-S or B-E-A-R-S? Yeah. No, it's bears. It's like uh, the animal bear. Oh, animal bear. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. Uh, the, the the title of this book, again, is Checkmate, Wolf Sisters Series Book One. My guest has been Margie Millett. Where do my listeners get a copy of this if they're old enough and uh, can show identification? No, they won't have to do that. But, uh, you know, can get a copy <laughs> no, they won't of this. have to. Um, they are in Amazon. So you'll be able to find that in hard copy and an, an e-book, if you're interested, just an e-book. And they will be in Barnes & Noble. So you could either find it in Barnes & Noble or in Amazon. Have you launched it, Have you launched a web page yet, uh, you know, Facebook yeah, or Facebook. otherwise? I have a web page. If you go www.margimillet.com, you should be able to find my um, Internet page. And I'm also on the Facebook on the Margie Millet, and I'm also in Twitter and Instagram. Fabulous. Let me spell your name for my listeners. Margie, M-A-R-G-Y, Millet, M-I-L-L-E-T. So if they do a search under your name, they can locate this and other books that may come in the future. Thanks for sharing your story today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very happy that you invited me. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. 
Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Welcome to Author Voices on Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book is a children's book called Rainbow Angel Earns Wings. Beloved rainbow child Anthea goes on her first trip away from home and finds beauty, kindness, and joy. And joining me now to share some of the magic behind this children's story is the author, Maria Michaelidis. Welcome, Maria. Hello. Thank you for joining Hello. me. Now, this book Hello, is for children. And it is a wonderful, inspiring story that will capture the imagination of all its readers. How did you come up with such a great story? And how did that story end up as the book we're talking about today? Well, it started with my looking at some rainbows outside just after the rain. The, the sky was so filled with dew and color and inspiration that I couldn't resist. My heart just soared and I couldn't resist starting my imagination took off and I started the story and it took off on its own practically. I know it's a children's book but what age group did you have in mind or do you think it appeals From, to all ages? It's, it was mostly designed for kids between the age of 9 to 12 and maybe you can stretch the 12 to 14, but more or less about around that age. And it's a great book also to read to the kids during at bedtime because they'll certainly have very positive, peaceful dreams after a chapter of my book. Is it a book with a message? If so, what is that message? The message is about the choice of living each moment in joy and in love in in the most um, esoteric way um, by love I mean the um, agape love of God that is that comes with an open heart to everyone around that embraces everyone with that comes immense joy so just the story and, and its enfoldment enfoldment um, without teaching brings you can see through a whole lot of love and the characters show compassion for each other and the possibility of living a life like that is what my imagination was trying to portray to live each moment as though it were a gift because it is a gift okay without giving too much away just a little taster for our listeners tell us a little of some of the characters in the book well, some of the characters are Anthea, the main protagonist, who comes from the um, universe of Foss, which means light. Then her best friend, Zoe, wh whose name means life. Uh, then um, we mention 
Anthea's, because Anthea is a princess that comes from a different universe, as I said, and her parents are Queen Sophia and King Savitar and Prince Benedict, and they run fast. And Sophia means wisdom in uh, Greek. Savitar is one of the ancient, um, in, in, in Vedic lore, is one of the ancient uh, angels. So the, there are a lot of, there's a lot of mysticism behind each of the characters and behind the story, hidden mysticism that is simplified for kids to just enjoy. Then there's Prince Benedict, who, whose name means blessed. There's Garzanal, um, who wards off evil. She's a phoenix. And then we have Grace, the orchid that um, orchestrates the party for the autistic children. Then there are other lovely trees that also have quite um, important personalities and characters uh, that make um, the story interesting. And I won't tell you anymore because I'll then maybe give you a, give away too much. Of course, of main importance are the four archangels. Let's not forget them because Talia, the garden where she lands at, where Anthea lands at, in, uh, on, um, is guarded by the four archangels: Uriel, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. And when they visit the, each each of the lands where the archangels are, reside then they have different experiences of each of them. Now, if I was asking you to give us just three words that you would choose to best describe this book to listeners, what three words would you use? Joy, inspiration, imagination. The book we've explained happens um, in another, another universe, another dimension, if you like, but when does it take place? There is no time in Talia. There is no time at all. The time is now. As as every moment is now, the time is now. It could have happened in the past. It can happen now. It can happen at any time in the future. It is a perennial book, which will be uh, which will be fresh at any moment. At the end of the book, um, it, the book ends, in fact, saying that we must appreciate each moment because in the present we must appreciate the present because it is a gift and that's exactly where in which time space the whole story takes place children's books are very popular there's a lot out there and some unquestionably similar to your story in some ways but what would you say as the writer of this book what would you say makes this book stand out it is very inspirational. It is guided by a world where angels and divine guidance prevail, where tolerance, compassion, are, tolerance and compassion, there are codes to go into each of the archangelic realms, and um, these codes make a stigma in the story. They make a mark um, that is different to what other books portray, I believe. In this one, uh, temperance and patience and imagination and gratitude are keywords. And unconditional, of course, the, the whole message, general message is that of unconditional love. 
Let's go back when, to the experience of you writing this book. You must have faced some challenges as a first-time writer. You know, it's not a case of just sitting down and writing a book. There is research, there is finding the right, you know, audience for your book. Tell me about some of those challenges. And on the good side of things, what did you find most rewarding? So that's a double-sided question there. Yes. Um, absolutely. One needs discipline to write. It's not just uh, sitting down and writing and taking, allowing the imagination to flow. One has to have a process of writing. But for me, uh, the story came as a, as a gift um, when I was in a meditative state, when I was in a conscious state trying to pull out words, then nothing happened. It was when I had, I had said a prayer first, and then um, my heart opened out, and I said a, a thankful note to God for, sent a thankful note to God for, um, for the gift of what I was about to bring down, bring forth that the whole thing started flowing and I didn't myself even know how easy the process could have been because to start with I thought it would be such a nightmare and it was a nightmare to start with because I, f I felt that all the difficulties, all the blocks within myself were not disallowing me from continuing in a, in a smooth flowing way when it actually the whole thing was a gift and that's what I had to open up and realize that we exist by the grace of God and everything all our, all that we bring forth is in the same is by the same token a, a, a gift from God a joyful so when this happens in this way then the other side of the story as you say brings immense joy your heart opens up and and you enjoy what you write and you don't even Believe that you are you are the author. You actually, it's like somebody else is writing, and you know, it's just your fingers are, the, are going through the process. Just like it happened with my when I was doing designing clothes, uh, I, I would do collections of clothes, and I didn't know who did the collection because I just put it together. It just flowed. Wonderful. It, it's the same, the same thing exactly with the book. I believe. That experience has been such that you've already started working on your next book. Tell us about that. Yes, the next one gives more detail about each of the characters of Talia, the main ones anyway. And um, I think it brings more color to it and more depth and excitement. And there's also a coloring book which is almost done, which goes hand in hand and makes the whole experience um, for them adds extra dimension to it and because it allows the kids also to create in this way and when can we look forward to that book, the second book being published I don't want to say because I'm, I'm multitask constantly so I'll leave it to God <laughs> ok thank you for that, now in closing is there anything that you want to share with us that we haven't covered during the interview but that you do feel is important for people to know? 
Yes, um, I think um, most kids would enjoy to have it read at, in schools. This is what I found here in South Africa. I've encountered uh, teachers at the printing shop, and when they saw when they saw it, they asked me, "Please, can I buy a copy? Because my kids would love this." And when I went to some of the schools, that's what the experience was. And then. In other schools, they were very uh, dogmatic about the fact that they've already chosen for this year without even having a look at it. So, um, you know, I've got I've received both sides of the of, uh, of the story uh, of the coin, but uh, also at night, it's a wonderful book to read to the kids at night because I think that they would have wonderful dreams. Okay, thank you for that. Rainbow Angel Ends Wings is published by iUniverse and is available direct from the publisher at iUniverse.com and all good bookstockists. Once again, I would like to thank my guest today, the author and writer Maria Michaelides, for joining me. Thank you, Maria. It has been a pleasure. And we wish you every success, not only with this book, but with all the books that come in the series. Thank you. Thank you so much for a lovely interview. Thank you for being a host, a, a very patient and gracious host. Thank you. This is Rick Bell for Togonate Radio 2.0. Thank you for listening. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Pinwheel. Subtitle Strategy versus Culture, and the winner is Improving the Odds in Your Favor. Joining me from the Phoenix area in the United States of America are the co-authors Steve Church and Terry Kane. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Well, it's it's good to visit with you, and uh, we had a little bit of technical issue on our first attempt a, a few days ago, but I think everything's working out fine at this point. The title of the book is unique, The Pinwheel. And uh, just to give a little background of uh, your skills and your background, you have uh, about 40 years combined, or is that uh, individually, in the tech services or tech uh, tech industry? Well, you know, it makes us uh, feel old, Jay, every time we think about this, but um, I have 42 years in tech. I spent 12 with a uh, semiconductor manufacturer and uh, the other 30 
in technology distribution, and I'll let Terry talk about his tenure. Yeah, and for me, it uh, I guess it would be a, a current, it would be kind of boring, but I spent 40 years in my career in one company that grew from about $400 million to $28 billion in that time frame for a about 40 years, and wow. was grateful to be a part of it. That's that's an amazing growth pattern that you've just described. And, uh, Terry, your background is unique from this perspective as well. You started out as a warehouseman. Is that correct? That's correct. I think we both had some humble beginnings there. But uh, for me, it's one of those things where uh, I got in there, and uh, I had I have some stories maybe we'll get to on, on how I was impacted by leadership at that time. But, yeah, I just wanted a job. I understand. I've been there and, too many times. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and Jay, this is um, very similar. I, um, I'm i actually a biologist by education. I graduated from college. I was uh, getting ready to go into a master's program. I took a job uh, with a, a distribution company in Los Angeles um, for a summer job, and 42 years later, I retired from uh, Avnet. Incredible. Now, in in addition to being authors, what is the um, what is the skill set that you're bringing to to the uh, culture today? Well, yeah, author is the result of uh, our experience, and and I think for us, I, I'll I'll speak for me. Um, our experiences continually were around how the customer was feeling how we were as leaders uh, building our organizations to meet the demands of the customer. And um, we began to just evolve multiple stories of our own customer experiences and recognizing that everything that we do, every system and process, every person that's involved, whether they're in the warehouse or back uh, doing taxes or finance of some kind, impact the end customer and ultimately the growth of the company in in, in many, many ways. Uh, yes, one of the key phrases or... or and, uh, yes, go ahead. I'll take a swing at that as well, Jay. In my uh, career, I was uh, the president of Abnet's largest business for about 10 years. Um, so, I, you know, P&Ls and, and balance sheets I get, I can uh, help in that area as well as Terry. I was chief human resources officer for five and a half years and uh, really uh, stood behind our initiative and employee engagement. Uh, I also ran, uh, I was vice president of marketing, uh, operational excellence. I was involved in about 20 mergers and acquisitions. Wow. It's one of the areas we love to work on is to help companies uh, with uh, their um, mergers uh, in terms of, are you going to integrate? You're going to leave companies separate. It's all about culture. Uh, and really at the end of the day, I think um, the experience Terry and I had taught us more about culture than it did anything else. Um, the culture of our, own organization as we witnessed um, a a culture that was sometimes friendly and sometimes not friendly to the strategic initiatives uh, and, um, you know, and how an organization uh, deals with that. Well, in in one sentence, uh, your philosophy, I guess, is summed up in this. Culture is the most important asset of any organization and needs to be nourished and prioritized. That is what you continue to do. You are, uh, I, I guess, consultants to small businesses, big businesses. What would you say would describe what you do today? Yes, yes we really want to focus on the, the culture aspect uh, and, and kind of embed the pinwheel, if you will, into the leadership mindset, because uh, as the title suggests, you know, and, and Steve already alluded to, 
culture ends up being the most powerful asset of any organization. But uh, even for us, I don't think we were aware of that for many, many years. We were like everyone else and the next best thing that the CEO came up with or the industry came up with or something like that. Would, you, know, you know, wherever you get your, your ideas from, boom, well, let's go off and do that. And right. every time leadership goes off and does that, they, everybody tries to follow them. Yep. And if the culture doesn't support it, they don't understand it. And so we, we think if we get companies while they're growing, uh, even if they look, they use the pinwheel to look back and and find out why they didn't grow, uh, that would be beneficial for them and for us. We just we just really like thinking that we can make a, a difference while a small company is still forming their culture. And in in your history and in your stories and in your book of 120 pages, you have included uh, some anecdotal stories. Uh, share the one about the the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. Okay, so we'll do we'll do the Ritz Carlton, and uh, we got a couple that uh, you know if we as we have time for absolutely. Well, the Ritz Carlton was was my story. It happened happened to have been at uh, in at a management meeting uh, for Avnet, probably the first uh, uh, high end management where, meeting where I had to travel to, and uh, so I was pretty excited. I wanted to take the ma- maximum uh, benefit of the uh, of the site, and it was Amelia Island, Florida, which is a beautiful property for Ritz Carlton. And, and the story goes this way. At 11 o'clock at night, I called the operator, and I left, left this message. I, I was talking to her, and I just said, um, please let Bob Braverman know in room so-and-so that we will not be playing tennis in the morning. I couldn't get a tennis racket. Uh-huh. So the operator, without any pause, just said, Mr. Kane, I'll get you a tennis racket. Well, I was be young manager and i'm sure i was arrogant and i just had to put her in her place after all she was just the operator Mm -hmm. and uh, in my mind and and so i said well you don't understand our meeting starts at um, 8 a.m your pro shop doesn't open till 9 a.m we were going to play tennis at 6 a.m so you can't get me a tennis racket just leave mr braverman the message without pause again she immediately said mr kane I'll have the night watchman open the tennis shop and meet you at the tennis courts at 6 a.m. with a tennis racket. Wow. And, you know, what What am I going to do now? I have to play tennis. <laughs> you know, uh, she, she, uh, she, she and, and in, in the back of my mind, this is after I told her, I said, okay, give baby, uh, Bob the message uh, and I'll meet him at the tennis court. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how in the world can this operator have power over, uh, you know, time and space and the night watchman you know? mm. and and what we what we determined is we've told these stories over years over years it was the culture of risk carlton yes. uh, which is still there where they they are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen as their their um their motto and so that meant that she thought i was a gentleman which i probably wasn't <laughs> and and but she definitely was gonna uh, be the lady that she was and I don't know, I, I had to look these little phrases up. When you say, ladies and gentlemen, Jay, you're actually saying we are equals. Yes. We are equally um, um, the same. And and so it's been powerful, to, for, at least for us, to, to go back and think about how did they build that culture for so many years. You, you do say, ladies and gentlemen. I do. Yeah. The, the end of the story is we played tennis. And the night watchman actually met Bob Braverman at his door and escorted him across the dark 
uh, yard and uh, in, uh, in the facility. That's phenomenal. I, I have uh, I have always, and cor- of course, my cultural background. I'm Canadian, so we are you know notoriously known for being polite, even if we're not. Uh, and, and I, I I just in my thinking, in fact, I, at one point I was a uh, I was a, a a field rep for a company, and uh, traveled to Mississippi and was in a small store where there's cultural differences, if you know what I'm saying, uh, between the owner of the store and maybe some of the yep. people that visit there. And this one little lady came in, and they were talking kind of behind her back and said, you know, she just lost her son. He was killed in a, I don't know, gunfight or something. It was a very small and uh, rural town. And as I was leaving and as she was leaving, uh, she was, uh, I think, a a step or two in front of me, and I opened the door for her. And the look that came across her face was one of total shock. And she says, you know, people don't do that. You know, she was very uh, impressed with the fact that I respected her as a human being and as a, a person. And uh, that's missing in most of the culture and much of the culture today. Yes, you're Absolutely. exactly right. And so we found this to be true. I mean, these, these, this is why we ended up writing a book, right, Steve? Because we kept thinking, this is, this is so simple. This has been around forever. It's basically do unto others as, right. uh, as you would have them do unto you. And that, by the way, whether, if you want to get hung up on being politically correct, that phrase or the meaning of that phrase is in every religion and every culture of the, of the world. Absolutely. So uh, let's just bring it back, and that's, that's what we want the leaders to, to understand. Yes, go ahead. I, I'll just add a couple things. I, I, I love this story. I've heard Terry tell it many times. By the way, he tells it with passion, uh, and that's, of course, uh, one of the veins of the pinwheel. Um, you know, the culture we, we talk to companies about, is um, is, is this. Um, for those uh, companies that meet expectations, they're good companies. Mm-hmm. But this story is about exceeding expectations and meeting unexpressed needs. And only the best companies in the world do that. So that's really uh, what we try to get across when we're, you know, when we're discussing this. That's a great point. Yeah. The, I would have been satisfied to deliver my message. But I would not have told this story thousands of times or written it in a book either. Yes. You, you mentioned Dell. What is the story uh, regarding their culture? Okay, so this is the Dell Coronado Hotel in San Diego. This is a great – you, you'll want to end with this probably, but this is a great story. Uh, <laughs> is that a so, threat? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So the Dell Coronado is a very beautiful and historic uh, hotel in uh, San Diego, um, when we speak to audiences about this, many people have been there. It's a very special place. It and is. Uh, this story is about service recovery. And what I always start this this section by, you know, having people, you know, raise. I say, how many of you show of hands fail your customers from time to time? Of course, everyone in the room raises their hand. Then I ask the question, how many of you have a service recovery process in your organization? And I would say, Terry, maybe what, five or ten? percent of the people in the room raise their hands yeah that might be high uh, yeah but yeah yeah where they follow it religiously it's so simple and by the way jay research says that uh, we actually build customer loyalty through great service recovery and the reason for mm-hmm. that is that's the moment of truth when we get a chance to show our customer how much we really care we've let them down we've put them in a difficult position what are we going to do about it I'm going to give you a very abridged um, 
uh, version of this story I've told many, many times. Uh, several years ago, we were having a, a meeting with our board of directors at, at the Del Coronado. I was on the Abnet executive board, uh, and I was the first speaker, first presenter at the uh, at the meeting the first day. I wanted to go over and make sure everything was good. I stopped by a coffee shop in the villages there at the Del Coronado. I ordered a, a chai tea latte, extra hot, because I have a tendency to drink it, you know, over a long course because I'm doing things and, and that. And so I was the only customer. The uh, uh, young lady hands me the, the chai. I wanted to taste it to make sure it was okay because I had to walk across the property. She had not snapped the top down on, on my chai tea latte. So when I took the sip, the, the uh, top came off and I poured the extra hot chai tea latte down my lips and chin Oops. And, and then down my clothes. Hmm. So um, so now I've got several problems. One is I've burned my lips and chin. Now I have to go back and change my clothes. I'm going to lose all the time that I had set aside to get over and make sure we were completely prepared for our board. Uh, um, she uh, handed me a, um, a towel that she'd been wiping the counter with. Uh-huh. There was no apology, and she didn't even offer me another coffee. Wow. Um, so, uh, I went back to my room, changed, went back at the, and my, uh, our CEO's, uh, assistant asked me when I go over this, she said, what happened? Your chin's bright red and then you got some blistering. And I told her what happened and that was all. But at this point, my, my position was I'm never coming back to this hotel again. Absolutely. And by the way, I'd been there three or four times. So that, but this was such a disastrous event that that was my position. I got back to my room after the meeting getting ready for dinner and there was a gift wrapped box on the table uh, with a personal written note from the general manager of the hotel that said Mr. Church I heard about what happened from your CEO's assistant I want to sincerely apologize we're dealing with the issue Uh, by the way that that coffee shop is not owned by the Del Coronado but it's on our property and therefore we take full responsibility Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope that you um, you know you, you like what you know, the present that we're giving you mm-hmm. uh, as an offer of atonement, which is a very nice shirt from the logo shop. Uh, and now I'm kind of thinking, okay, maybe I would come back to the hotel again. Right. The next morning I'm getting ready to go to the meeting and I, my phone rings. <clears throat> it's the general manager of the hotel. She said, Mr. Church, um, you know, I hope you like the gift from our logo shop. Um, and my note, and by the way, I just want to say again, we sincerely apologize. We've dealt with the issue um, so that you know, things like this don't happen in the future. Is there anything else we can do to make this right? Wow. So I therefore, I went from I'll never come back to I might come back to I've told this very positive service recovery story probably 100, 200 times. Phenomenal. Because we're also, um, you know, we're 10 times more likely to tell our bad stories than we are our good ones. But I've shared this story all over the world for many, many years. It's an example of great service recovery um, that actually built my loyalty with the hotel. So that's the story of the Del Coronado. That's incredible. That And, and uh, one that's not heard often enough. You have in the 120 pages, describe this to my listeners. What is the, uh, what is the, the message they're going to receive, and uh, who is the, the target audience? Who do you want to reach with this 
stories with these stories and and inspiration. Yeah. So what we found, surprisingly enough, is uh, startup companies to large companies, uh, middle management to senior leadership. But uh, I've had students uh, also uh, comment on on uh, how they got um, great information. I, I think I think uh, the the main thing we want them to get out of it. Actually, we wrote the chapters thinking, okay, is somebody going to read this? Right, right. We we just told stories, right? Those two stories that you just recorded, Jay, uh, take maybe a, a half a page to a page, and sometimes there's a couple a uh, couple question follow up, and and actually at each chapter there is a three or four questions on how do you implement this? How would you implement this? Even lead a discussion on on this particular topic uh, of uh, whether service recovery or, or, or whatever the story is uh, uh, an example of. And the, the whole point is that each chapter is a standalone. Each chapter can be, uh, you, you don't have to read, you know, some people get intimidated by reading a book, uh, you know, from cover to cover, you know, Hey, just grab this in the middle. If, if uh, um, Jerry Maguire, show me the money chapter strikes out and you then read, read it and but uh what we have found is people are reading it cover to cover and what we want them to do is just be able to take it and use it uh um uh, whether it's in staff meetings or 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 use the the assessment tool so that they can continue uh, the spinning the wheel so to speak um because we don't really believe there's an arrival the culture is always evolving all it takes is one more person all it takes is one more market condition. All it takes is one catastrophe in my own life as a leader, and I change the culture. And we just want, want people to recognize that that if you focus on that, the elements of the culture, this is not this is not rocket science, as we said earlier. Uh, just just focus on it. Don't just be focusing on that next great shiny object that's out there to try to get more, more business. Absolutely. So wow. Well, well. I, I can't add a lot to that. I would say just a couple of things. Um, one, uh, like a lot of uh, um, writers, if this is also a calling card yeah. um, for our business. We, we wanted um, our prospective clients to you know, get a feel for what we know, what we're good at, what kind of value we can bring to their organization. And, you know, people love stories, Jay, so we tell a lot of stories in here. We, we love telling the stories. You could probably <laughs> tell in the passion of our two stories here. But but audiences and clients love the stories. And, you know, at the end of the day, if they don't remember anything else, they remember the stories and they remember the points uh, that, are, that we're trying to bring out in the stories. Uh, and the other thing is it is a workbook. So at the end of each chapter, uh, we have, um, you know, things that, uh, you know, a, a team can discuss. So you could really, Jay, read this book as a team. Let's say you've got, uh, you know, a, a manager and 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 there's nine employees. So you have 10 people in a room. They could read a chapter, go through the, the, the questions and actions at the end of the chapter and really build a new culture uh, on their own without us. What we do find is most of our clients want us to come in and help them through that process, but it could actually be done by an organization. We think we put enough tools and enough information here that, that they they could do it on their own if they chose to. We really want them to do it on their own. Yeah, we let, we we don't mind getting them started. I was going to say, Jay, it, you know, Steve told the story of the Del Coronado, but uh, if you've got another, uh, you know, few seconds here, well, I think it's worth it to to talk about the service recovery process that 
that he, you know, so eloquent told told the story that you know the people at Dell, the leadership at Dell, actually went through all all six of these. And I won't. I'll just tell you what they are because you can apply them in your personal life as well. Absolutely. When something breaks, which it does, you know, our customers don't expect us to uh, be perfect, but they do expect us to fix it when it breaks. And we mm. we all have that in our in our DNA. Number one, apologize. That's not admitting guilt. It's just saying, man, I feel that way too if that happened to me you know what's wrong with that get get away from the legal jargon that says oh that's admitting guilt no it's not it's it's, it's showing empathy number two is listen and show empathy three fix the problem permanently four make atonement uh which you that example of atonement was the you know just a continual uh, you know the, the gift of the shirt and and things for steve uh number five uh keep your promises the, as, in your personal life and in your in your professional life if you're in that moment of truth, as Steve described, if you miss one thing and you say, I'll call you at 2 o'clock, and you call them at 205, it's it's locked in forever. Right. And, and and so keeping promises is ridiculously important there, as it always is. And then finally, follow up. If if we all just did that regularly when we when we hurt someone's feelings or we became aware of, a, of some kind of breakage in, in, uh, in uh, a relationship, uh, and this relationship is business or personal. It's the same thing. Uh, it would make a big difference in our world. So. Well, those are important po- important points. In fact, uh, you reflected on a conversation I had with an individual a few months ago, and uh, hadn't seen him in a while. Gave him my card. Said, "Hey, you know, I'd love to, love to connect with you sometime." He said, "Well, I'll call you next Wednesday." Uh, it's been several months. I still haven't heard from him. So, uh, it, it, you know, my my I guess it's my pet peeve is people who uh, don't have integrity and follow through. If you say something, uh, it's it's a contract in my world. So thank you for sharing those uh, important facts uh, on uh, the uh, contents of your book, the title of which is The Pinwheel. Gentlemen, my listeners need to get a copy of this. How do they do so? Well, you can go to... Uh of course, iUniverse, um, their website, but we have our own website, which is www.pinwheel.partners, and you can buy it right off of that. Uh, uh, we'd love for you to go there first, but um, it's also available at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, all the, the major distribution outlets. Uh, and so, um, and then, of course, if we happen to be speaking in your town, yeah. uh, we sell, uh, and, and I say that for all of the listeners, uh, come see us. Uh, we love to be on stage, and we sell the book wherever we speak. Absolutely great. Thank you for sharing time with me today. Again, the title of the book is The Pinwheel. My co-authors, Steve Church and Terry Kane, have joined me from near Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. Jay. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.